Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you again for joining us for another episode of the Peterson Car Stories podcast. My name is Patrick with my co-host, Daniel. Say hi, Daniel. Hey, Daniel. Hey. What? You said, hey, Daniel. Oh, that was, okay. It was a dad joke. Um, cool. Today, we have a very, very special guest. He's a talented artist. He worked for Hot Wheels for a very long time. He said, I mean, what more can I say about this man? Felix Holst, say hello. Hi, guys. Hello. Thank you for joining us here today. You are a man with a very decorated past very involved in the automotive world and your art is spectacular i love the way the colors pop around yourself well, thank you thank you yeah it's my uh it's what it's what's left in my in my professional world of my little bit of automotive expression i've moved into much bigger and more powerful vehicles now but we can talk about that um shortly but yes the art is my my connection still to the car world i mean your 917 is my favorite piece yeah. i gotta say that thing is awesome I was looking at Prince the other day. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I, I, I need to do. It's, it's funny, man. It, it, I, I, I paint what I, I paint what I love, and I love everything. And so, choosing the next, my paintings take me like you know a good months, months to produce. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a constant challenge of like, what is the iconic vehicle that I love that's going to appeal to as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, as soon as I started, I'm like, oh, damn it, I wish I'd done this one instead. <laughs> that just gives you more work on later. Yeah. Keeps you busy. There's a, there's a backlog. There's a huge backlog floating around in my head. Perfect. What's your What's been your favorite one to paint so far? Like the one that you're the most proud of? Oh, I think, you know, I mean, honestly, I think the, the one of the more recent ones was the piece I did with Magnus, Magnus Walker. Mm. Um, and, you know, like we're, we're buddies, and he suggested doing it, and, I, and, he, and at first I was like, "How do I do a collaboration with someone? I'm the painter, you know." Um, but then I have I have a bit of a history with Magnus, and the the, the nine one four art car had been my car, and I'd started painting it, and then he bought it, and then we finished it. But when he said, "Let's collaborate on a painting," I was kind of, I don't really know how to do that, and it took me a couple of months to get my head around how do I prepare a painting for him to take part in. Mm-hmm. Um, but it allowed me. It allowed me to try a few things I'd be nervous to try um, and tell more story with the with the piece, you know, and include a bit more of the location of the car. And then he he gave me the confidence to to put in all of the graphics and the arrows and the Union Jack. And it really turned into conceptually, it was a true a true collaboration. Um, and I had to treat it like a portrait. I had to treat it like, how do I put this guy who's famous with this car that's famous for this location? And it came out rather well, I think. Yeah, though that was hung up in the museum for a while. It was the most colorful part of the entire room, and loved looking at it. I got so I got so many people reaching out, complimenting me on it. It's you know? definitely and, well received. Yeah, and I know that, sure. I know that I know that Magnus is proud of it as well. So it's mm-hmm. kind of that one. I think that one so far because I'm very proud of them all, and I enjoy my painting, and I hope that you can see that in my art. I don't do anything that I don't enjoy, mm-hmm. um, and it's really truly an expression of how my brain works, all the colors and all that stuff. But I think that. The collaboration was fun, but it pushed me to try some stuff that I was maybe a bit nervous to try. And now I've, I realize I can do that stuff very well. So look forward to the future, kind of telling more, telling more stories. For me, my entire place in kind of the car world has always been about like car as part of culture. I I, I like motorsports, but I'm not like a huge sports fan. My place in 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 the car world came from a love of the road movie fashion music and how the automobile has always played such a central part of that and so i think that 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 piece really allowed me to exercise some ideas i've got for telling more story around my art so i do hear an accent um can you tell the audience where you're from where did it all start i I am from newcastle in the northeast of england nearly scotland but not quite i'm english um and newcastle's like you know it's it's a beautiful 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 city um huge industrial heritage um that region is also kind of where the roman empire ran out of steam the vikings first came ashore in that region so it's this incredibly historic place but it's also the birthplace of the railways Mm. um one of the biggest shipbuilding um rivers in the kind of late 1800s and the 20th century so like i come from a very very industrial gritty kind of northern english city how how was the car scene there is that how you got into cars, or um, I got it, I got into cars. I got into I got into cars through my dad's into cars. Always has been, and he worked in the oil industry when I was tiny, and he used to bring American car magazines when he worked on the rigs. Mm. He would he would have a lot of American colleagues, and he would bring American car magazines back. And then we and then as I got a little bit older, 
I would sit up at night watching road movies with him. This is all like in the 70s, you know. Um, and then obviously the north, the north of England's got a lot of rally heritage. Um, so really the only time any kind of major events came through our, our area was the, like the RAC rally. Um, it was the Lombard RAC rally at the time. But, you know, there would be convoys of, in the 80s, there'd be convoys of Group B cars and sport vehicles kind of going down the, the kind of the, the bypass past where we lived. And, you know, outside of that, it was difficult, man. Car culture, car culture where I grew up really didn't exist. Um, we were a long way from London and the South. We were a long way from the kind of functioning racetracks. Um, and so most of my, most of my kind of, you know, most of my background comes from magazines, movies. And then, and I got into custom cars very, very early on. I got introduced to the kind of world of hot rods and customs and that the idea of customizing things drove every aspect of my kind of art and design career as, as I studied art, you know, I can't leave anything alone. So with the, these American magazines that your dad used to bring, did you create a love for American muscle and hot rod? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, um, I was the weird kid. I mean, I was one of those weird kids that doesn't play sports. I didn't go out and play football, soccer. Mm -hmm. Um, I was always drawing and I was building like monogram model kits and reading magazines and obsessed with cars from my, my mother, my mother would say that I was obsessed with cars from before I could talk. My first, my first word was tractor. My second word was car. <laughs> That's um, and so it was just, it was, a, it was, a, I lived, I lived my, my life. I didn't have any friends who were into cars, you know, my life until I got to be like into the kind of car driving age. When I turned about 15, 16, I started having some friends who, who got cars. And at that point it was all like, you know, hot minis and Ford Escorts and, um, you know, and then, and then GTI Golfs and, and XR3 Escorts and Cosworths. And that was my kind of teenage years. Mm -hmm. And all of that was based around kind of, there was, there was, like I said, there was a strong rally culture. So when, when kids in my area built cars, they were very, very like, you know, 80s rally inspired. It was all about wide wheels, mud flaps and spotlights. Um, but then I always had this also this deep love for American car. I was a skateboarder in the eighties. Nice. I was I was into American music. I was into hip hop in the mid eighties. You're born in the wrong wrong part of the world. Well, you know, <laughs> when, I, when I found myself out here, I suddenly realized, um, you know, this is where I think I'd always I was always meant to be, right? And 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 when I when I first started with Hot Wheels as a graduate, within three weeks, I found myself in El Segundo, which is where head office was. I had we 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 had an office in Leicester that used to be. Corgi Toys, which is another famous British toy car brand. And Mattel had bought them about a year before I started. And so we were based in Leicester. We were like this little satellite design office. And um, within three weeks, I had to visit head office in El Segundo, California. And um, I had a week there. But at the end of that week, I called my boss. And I was like, yeah, I think it's going to take me another week to finish this project. <laughs> it wasn't at all. I was finished. But I just wanted to hang no, out. Yeah. I wanted to hang out in SoCal for another week. You know, it was like blew my mind. So, so I did some research on you, and you went to art school. Uh, did you know you were going to be studying cars, or did you know you were going to go in auto auto industry, or did you have like a backup plan? Um, my backup plan was rock and roll, to be honest. Um, I've had this like so spinning it all the way back. My my father was an engineer who was into cars. My mom was a fashion designer slash interior designer. So I always had from a very early age, I had this education, left brain, right brain, engineering and design background. I wanted to be a car designer and was convinced to go study industrial design first and then go and do a master's in car design because several people who I who I respected said, like, you'll be a far better designer if you get a really good understanding of basic design principles and, and, and design for mass production. So I did that. And I, uh, so I went to Northumbria University in Newcastle. I stayed there. I was in a band at the time, and I didn't want to go away to Newcastle. I didn't want to go away to university because my band was so important to me that I stayed <laughs> in Newcastle. And it just so happened that Newcastle was like one of the very best um, undergrad courses on the planet, right, for industrial design. So I finished that. Of course, the band split up six months into the program. So there I was studying Newcastle. Um, and then... I had planned to go and do a master's at the RCA and I was on my way to completing my, you know, re redoing my portfolio. My lecturers were friends with the heads down there. They were putting a good word in for me. That was, I was going to take a year out and I did. I lectured for a little bit. I lectured on design course, um, did a bit of packaging design, did some consultancy and was preparing my portfolio and was looking for another kind of six month job while I did that. And 
just through happenstance, picked up a copy of Design Week, which was this like, this is pre-internet, right? Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to find a job, you had to look at the the, the industry papers and things. And I saw a tiny little, um, tiny little ad for Hot Wheels UK needs a temp designer. And I, at that point, I was a Hot Wheels kid, right? I kind of yeah. like, I found Hot Wheels in the 70s when they first turned up in the UK and fell in love. But I hadn't really thought about them for years through my kind of teenage years and young adult life. I was like, oh shit, Hot Wheels, they're still around? And so anyway, I applied for it. It was probably the most rigorous interview process for a six-month temp position that anyone's ever had. But I eventually got the design, got the job with an intention that I would still go and be a car designer. But after about four or five weeks, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd had some trips. I'd been to El Segundo. And I'd also realized that, like, I'd never considered toy design, but I was, like, I was good at it, you know? Um and I'm, I'm, I'm like water, you know, easiest path downhill for me. I was like, oh, I'm good at this. I can be successful. I don't have to work hard at it. It just comes naturally. And so I, that was the beginning of like, you know, and then I realized I was good at managing projects. Then I realized I was good at managing people. And so I kind of, I did this like meteoric rise. Um, and also my bosses at the time were in their early 30s and they just had families and they didn't want to do the traveling anymore, right? So I was like thrown on a plane almost immediately. <laughs> Spent the next three years like flying around the world, doing the full, like from blank sheet concept all the way through to marketing approvals and then manufacturing turnover and working with engineers in China. You know, I'd go and sit for three weeks in China and like work the product through the system to make wow. sure design integrity was was kept. And so that was my kind of, you know, that was my, my boot camp in effect into kind of global manufacturing and design. Um, at the end of 99, Mattel announced they were going to shut down a lot of the satellite offices. And so they were going to close the Leicester, the Leicester office. And they offered me a couple of management jobs, one in New Jersey where Matchbox was and one in El Segundo. But my band, I was back into the same band, really. We were, we, we'd released a single ourselves and it was on Radio 1 every night in the UK. And so nice. I took my redundancy and ran for five years to go pursue my dreams i joined the circus <laughs> i ran away and joined the circus for five years um what kind uh, of music did you guys play oh uh, we play like um it's kind of it's very british but it's it's if you imagine i'm kind of trying to pick names of bands that everybody sure. would know so if you think about the clash yeah kind of like like punk dub and then you mix that with like the beastie boys Cool. It was very much like the sounds right on my alley i can't lie that sounds kinda, what did you play i played bass okay i still do I, I literally three weeks ago we played two sellout shows in in in, in England. Oh, Whoa! No yeah. way! Yeah, 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 yeah. You guys so, have that much of a following. Oh, What's the name of the band? We're called the Custom Built, of course, with a K. <laughs> named named like spelt like that because I was sitting I was sitting in the office at Hot Wheels and we were brainstorming names and we were built out of the the the, the rubble or the spare parts of other Newcastle bands that had been quite good bands. And I was like, yeah, we're like we're a custom built. We're like we've been put together in a garage. And then my partner in crime, Christian, was like, oh, I love that, the custom build. And I was like, yeah, it's got to be spelled with a K because of George Barris. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I introduced Newcastle to the culture of like, you know, California custom culture with a K. Um, yeah. And you guys toured, correct? We toured. We did. I where mean, did, we, Where we, did you tour? We never got the big deal. We toured the UK a lot. Um, and we did, you know, we, we, we did a lot of Radio 1 sessions, Made of Ale sessions. We did the first BBC Made of Ale session of the new Millennium. It was supposed to be Oasis, but Liam Gallagher had a cold, and so they called us up and stuffed us in there. Wow. Um, Number two behind Oasis. That's, it was, it was a compliment. It was kind of crazy. But we, <laughs> we, were, we were, you know, we were a very, very highly regarded, like critically acclaimed band, but we were also like just an absolute disaster from a pers personality point of view. And so we never got the deal because... We screwed every we screwed we screwed the pooch every time, man. Like, you know, Radio One wanted to put us live on some festival, and and we were the featured band live on Radio One. And at that time, it was like sixteen million people listening to Radio One, you know. Wow. And we always managed to screw it up. Like, <laughs> we, we played very well, but the, there were some personalities in the band which were a disaster. Generally, I mean, I learned I learned a joke. I only partly joke that when I when I came back to when I moved out to California in two thousand four, back to Mattel, and slotted straight into kind of managing brands and managing people and then really rapidly moved from you know manager on matchbox to vice president of the wheels division at mattel with hot wheels and matchbox and everything else under under, under me from a creative side um i always joke that i couldn't have done that if i hadn't gone off on the road with a bunch of lunatics for five years because when i came back managing professionals was really simple like compared to managing, like from within the band, I kind of managed these five very, very difficult personalities. Um, 
And so it set me up. I think I think it's if I hadn't done that, I don't think I would have kind of been on the same career trajectory when I came back, you know. And when you were touring, were you doing art? Or did you kind of put art to the side and focus on music? Um really that the band was where I really picked up a paintbrush, if I'm honest. Okay. I I I'd done bits and pieces um as a all the way back to being at school. You know, my mom would be doing an interior, she would she became quite a successful interior designer. And she'd be trying to kind of she'd be doing a hotel or a restaurant and she'd be like, Felix, I can't find anything I want to put on the walls. Can you paint me twelve paintings of X? Mm. And these are the colours I want you to use. And so I would bang them out. And always made a little bit of little bit of money on the side doing that. But then when I was in the band, obviously like art and rock and roll go 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 hand in hand. And we were very much that band that, that we, we were inspired by the Who and the Clash and all of these pop art bands with a kind of very, you know, um, make it yourself um ethos. And so I started painting and I, I started painting for the band at first, and then a couple of friends asked me to do pieces and then I put a little exhibition together and I was painting, I was painting buildings really, um, like modernist buildings. Um, but using very, very bright, instead of concrete colors, I was using like very like Warhol-esque fluorescent colors and mm-hmm. pop art colors. Um, and eventually while I was still in the band, I was beginning to have some ex- exhibitions going on as an artist and beginning to make decent money. Um, and so that saw me through the final two years of the band. I was actually making quite good money as an artist. We weren't making any money as a band, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, and then the art complemented the band as well. So I was doing kind of, you know, record sleeves and things. And then when I came back to Mattel, money was good. Career was busy. I hadn't really, I only, I painted one in the entire time, the 10 years that I was with Hot Wheels, I only painted one piece and it was for charity. It was for like a Pixar. It was like Disney, Pixar and Mattel children affected by AIDS charity auction where they had artists from Pixar and artists from Mattel producing some work and we sold it and my my piece mm-hmm. i had two hot wheels cars drag racing in my in my very early style which was far more kind of banksy stencil with a bit of bright gotcha. colors and it sold it was the highest you know up against like genuine like well-known names from pixar it was the top selling piece of the night and, and at the time it blew the amount of money it went for blew my mind um but that was the only piece i painted in the entire time that i was with hot wheels and I left Hot Wheels to get into tech, and I had a, a startup still in the automotive industry in tech. Um, and I, 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 paint, I painted a piece for my own enjoyment, um, and then I auctioned it on Bring a Trailer for charity for John Benton, who is a well-known Porsche um, specialist who had lost his a lot had lost a lot of his business to a fire. And I hadn't I, didn't, I had no intention. I, I painted it. It was from like Lufkaholt to. It was a painting of a Porsche 911 ST, and it was hanging on my wall in my office. Um, and jo- and I didn't, and I was kind of, you know, I was in startup land, so I didn't have any money myself. But I wanted to give something to John because he's such a good guy, and I felt so sorry about the situation. And so I spoke to my friend Rob Dietz, who is Wob Cars on Bring a Trailer, and I said, "Do you think they would do a charity auction for a piece of art?" And he was like, well, we can ask. And they were like, yeah, dude, that's a good idea. Yeah. So we, we auctioned a piece on Bring a Trailer for charity, and it went for way more than I thought it would. Like, I, I, I'd thought, you know, a couple of grand for John, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. And it went, it went really through the roof. And that was the start of it, really. Because then I, it, was that, it was another transitional time in my life where the, the startup was beginning to fail for various reasons. I was kind of trying to figure out how I was going to keep my head above water. Um, I walked away from my startup two weeks before the pandemic became a pandemic mm. and had thought I would just go back into a design job and, and, and nobody was hiring for design executives into the pandemic. And so as I started painting and fortunately bring a trailer were, were supportive and that was the start of the past kind of, you know, three years of the art, the art piece of my life has gone through the roof. Really. Um, I couldn't be happier with the way it's been received. And now I'm beginning to get into some really exciting projects. That's excellent. Um, that was a long monologue, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like, that was fantastic. I was riveted. I was like, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? Does he fight monsters? I always look at life. Life is like, you're right. You know, you've got to look at your life like you're writing a novel, right? And if every chapter exactly. was, if every chapter was all smiles, it would be a pretty boring novel. But as long as you're always like, what's the next chapter, man? What's the, what's the next part? That's how I see life. I always say that life is just like a book. Yeah. It has several chapters, yeah. you know? Yeah. Once one chapter is done, on to the next. Once one. you get to the end of it, right? How interesting is the book that you left behind? You know, exactly. That's, that's my philosophy on life. Um, just talking about Hot Wheels. So, 
how do you think you changed Hot Wheels from the moment you first got in there until you left? What do you? How do you think you improved it as a brand and lifestyle? What's the Felix Holst legacy? I, I think. I think there's one that, that quite a lot of people in the industry would recognize, and that is, and it was on my visa paperwork, right? That they hired, that if you're going to give a job to someone who's not from the US, you've got to justify it. Mm. And it was that I, they wanted someone to bring a more global perspective to the brand. Um, and I had been hired originally to do, to manage Hot Wheels Collector, Hot Wheels Adult. And at the last minute, um, Mattel decided to close down the Matchbox office in New Jersey. And I, I was literally the only person in the entire design division who'd worked on Matchbox at that point, who wasn't already working on Matchbox. But in terms of the El Segundo head office, I was mm -hmm. the only guy who'd ever worked on Matchbox and also being British mm -hmm. helped. And so they, they, they threw me onto Matchbox, which at the time was very disappointing, but that allowed me to work on a brand where I almost had like full creative control of the brand. And you could never have done that with Hot Wheels. And so I, I, I earned my chops with Matchbox and we... We brought a lot more global cars into the mix. We decided to focus a lot more on classic cars. And so we immediately started introducing like, you know, there was a Series 1 E-Type Jab Coupe, but then there was very quickly a 914 Porsche and there was a Lotus Europa and there was an Alpha uh, GTV. And, there was, and in that process, we also developed some kind of design methodology that just made those models, those particular models were absolutely splendid models. And they were still just four-piece cars. I don't, So I don't know whether you know this, but... Hot Wheels cars generally in the mainstream, in the mainline, have to be four pieces. You can't go over four pieces. So mm. there's a skill developing a, a, a true replica car when you've only got four, one piece of die cast and three bits of plastic to play with. So we develop, we develop some techniques. And then we also really, I, I think we, I don't think I'm exaggerating when we, we kind of pioneered the digital, um, like the digital design stream. When I first came back, we were still producing hand sculpted models in China, which were like what we would call a three X or so three times size. And they would come, they would be shipped over for approvals and the designer would document them and photograph them and marks on them and then send that back. And then you'd wait another couple of weeks and then another one would come back. And it was like weeks and weeks and weeks to get the, the sculpt almost right. Wow. And my first, my first hire, um, when I, when I moved to California was a, a guy called Rio Asada. And unfortunately, Rio Asada passed away um, last year. But he was, I think, and people will hate me for this, but I think he was the best designer Hot Wheels ever had. I think that he, I think he ranks certainly up there with Larry Wood, but for very different reasons, isn't it? Ryu mastered, um, he was an art center grad when I hired him, um, and he mastered like the, the, the digital design stream to really move the quality of Hot Wheels models to the next level. And that that design stream that Ryu mastered um, became the standard for the brand. And so to me, the two legacies is one, we moved, we stepped up the, the level of design and the efficiency of how we designed um, in my time there, but also the global, um, the kind of the, 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 the modernization of what Hot Wheels means in car culture mm -hmm. and a far more global, um, a far more global representation in terms of the model selection. Like when I turned up, I joke about it now because I actually am a gray beard now. Like I've realized that I am now a gray beard. But when I turned up, pretty much the whole design team was was these kind of older legacy designers. And they were doing Camaros and hot rods. And they were like getting very excited about some Camaro variation that they'd never done, you know. Um, and I looked at it. I was like, dude, like we need to get some Volkswagens in the mix and some <laughs> Porsches. And, and then, of course, Ryu and, and, and Juno Mai brought this like a passion for JDM cars. And so between, between my kind of focus on the more, I'm certainly more Euro focused. And then also the fact that we brought Juno up as a manager, Ryu Asada was hired. And, and within that time, there were the percentage mix certainly shifted more towards global and modern car culture versus hot rods and muscle cars, you know. Were you involved with the Tanner Faust uh, loop? H and how did that come along? I was very, very involved in that. Um, so that was... Which was, I think, uh, excellent marketing. Oh, I mean... For, for a hell of a play. Yeah. We moved, like... <laughs> we we took some really big risks. I, I had a very... I, I was working with um, a very, very ballsy uh, marketing guy, Simon. And we, Simon and I had become, he became vice president of marketing about five months before I became vice president of design. And so we were, and both, we're both British 
from the same place, cut from the same cloth. And we realized, and we'd both worked on the brand for years, and but we were frustrated with it. And we realized that... Um, what was the frustration? Well, so we were. It was more that we were frustrated with Mattel, to be honest. The 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 so Mattel, they put a lot of they put a lot of of um, emphasis on on research, and so the research group would come back with these. You know, we've been talking to moms, and no one cares about cars anymore. Pixar cars is great because there's a story, but no one cares about Hot Wheels. Moms don't know how to play Hot Wheels. Mm. Um, kids don't care about Hot Wheels because kids go to school in a minivan or a Prius. They've like Hot Rods have got no relevance. Blah 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 blah. And I looked at that and read between the lines. And I was like, this doesn't, this doesn't add up. There's something missing here, right? And um, what we realized was Pixar Cars was successful because it was an easy-to-follow story with characters. And then we looked at our past and we were like, hang on a minute. How come our generation, we didn't have talking cars. I mean, we did, and we'll come to that. But we didn't have, like, cartoon cars. We had real cars. And we realized that, like, back in the kind of 80s, Every Saturday night or Friday night, every household in, in America or the UK would sit down together to watch good guys being chased by bad guys or good guys defeating bad guys with a badass car, right? Take your pick. All the way back to Starsky and Hutch and Bullet, all the way through to the A-Team, Knight Rider, Dukes of Hazard, blah, 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 blah. And we realized that nobody was making... Um, the only other brand that had, that had made content around cars was was Fast and Furious, and I think at this point they were like up to the third movie, and we were like, we need we need we need something that that that's as relevant, but like Fast and the Furious is a little bit older for our you know we're still talking kids three to three to seven three to eight, um, and then of course Ken Ken Block had just done his first Jim Carner video, and we were like, dude, like that's how we need we need to do something real. Um, mm. And so we set out and be like, well, how do we do Hot Wheels? How do we do real Hot Wheels? And then we were like, well, we do real Hot Wheels. We build a 100-foot ramp and we <laughs> build a real Hot Wheels car and we get one of the best drivers in the world to yeah. jump at the length of a football pitch at the Indy, at the Indy 500, and that's what we did. And the, initially, we were going to do a loop, mm. but we kind of didn't have, we didn't, from memory, we didn't quite have time to work out the physics of the loop. And we had an opportunity. We were partnered with, with IndyCar, um, and we had an opportunity to do something that it was the hundredth anniversary of the Indy 500. And so we, we partnered with some very creative, a very creative agency, um, and a very, very creative production company. And we put this scheme together to just smash the world record for the longest jump. Um, and it wasn't enough to just do the jump, right? We had to build the, the, the classic V, the classic hot wheel set, which is the V drop, which is the one that goes to the top of the bedroom door and the car drops almost vertically. So we built a hundred foot bedroom door in the infield of the Indy 500, and uh, we How did you get approval from the big heads at Mattel to do that? Because this just sounds like a lot of huge ask. It's awesome. Oh my god! I honestly, like, I, honestly, Was I it wish an easy ask or hard. I wish. I mean, I, I, I honestly just don't think they knew what we were going to do. <laughs> if I'm, if I'm, if I'm really honest, the less they know, the better. I, yeah, I think it was literally we're going to spend some money. and We're going to do a stunt. All right, how much? And then, and then we also did like we did a very smart deal with them. Um, with some partners like IZOD and IndyCar, where in fact um, they covered they covered a huge amount of the actual expense, right? So we weren't asking Mattel for it was quite a lot of money. It was a you know a good few million dollars, but mm. it wasn't like crazy budget. Um, and then we just went out and did it, and we did it a little bit underground. And the, the 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 good thing about it was at the time Hot Wheels like everybody cared about Barbie, no one cared about Hot Wheels. Mm. Everybody had written Hot Wheels off. Um, and so we put together this stunt, and we we built a um, we built, it was a trophy truck that we rebodied with, um, with a Hot Wheels body shell that looked crazy, had like crazy fins on the back and all sorts. Um, Tanner Faust, um, did the drive-in. Um, I don't think it was until, so I found myself, what I hadn't seen, I, on this one, I, I had, I hadn't got down to any of the testing. So I hadn't seen the jump in reality. I was always too busy to actually go out and see the, see the testing. And it wasn't until I found myself standing on the infield with Simon, waiting for Tanner, and we could hear the engine revving at the top of the ramp, right? Like this distant, this distant revving V8, like not just that way, but a hundred foot up in the air as well. And there was three, I believe, there was three hundred and fifty thousand people in the stands. Like it was, it was a packed house. Mm. And I looked around, and like 
<laughs> the CEO of Mattel was like standing to my right over my shoulder and the head of HR was to my left. These two like very powerful executives at the company, obviously. And uh, and it was at that moment where Simon and I looked at each other and like, oh my God, what have we done? <laughs> Fortunately, it went off without a hitch and it was absolutely epic. Yeah. Um, and so then the following year, we had to beat that, right? Because now the expectations are really high. And so we're like, right, the loop has to get done. And so... We, 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 um, and all of this, there's a great, there's a great documentary. We did a little documentary film under the radar, which, which has got my voiceover on it. If you look on YouTube, you can find the stunts, but you can also find the making of the loop. And, um, we constructed a 70 foot steel loop down at, um, El Toro Air Force Base. Mm. Um, but it wasn't enough to just do one loop. We did two loops. <laughs> so we had two loops side by side and the cars basically drag raced into the loop and then crossed over in the loop and then came out and did, and did a jump. Because like just doing one loop wasn't enough. It's Hot yeah. Wheels, man. Like this has got to be completely bonkers. Yeah. Um, All you're missing is a T-Rex in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> we nearly did that, but we ran out of <laughs> um, And so then we, and then we moved. And once we'd, once we'd, once we'd done it, we disassembled it and moved it to downtown LA and, and put it up outside the state. It was, for, um, it was, I think it was outside the convention center for X Games. Mm -hmm. And so we did it live right down the middle, like right in the heart of, of Los Angeles. I remember like, watching that. Crazy. <laughs> and um, there's all sorts of stories to that. They, 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 you know, we'd, we'd, had, we'd built a drone car, like a radio controlled. And it was like, I think we were using Evos. And um, so we had an Evo, Mitsubishi Evo drone car, which was radio controlled. So we could put it through the loop first to test the safety systems. And of course it like the radio control system failed and it crashed in the loop and ended up hanging in the safety net. Like just, and then we're like, oh shit, we've just destroyed the drone car. <laughs> and so then um, Greg Tracy, who was the stunt coordinator and the, one of the, and the first driver through, um, brilliant, like Greg's another brilliant, brilliant driver. Um, he was just like, I'm just going to do it. Cause he's just like stunt guy yeah. and he's like, I'm just going to go and do it. We've done all the math. We've trained it. We've trained in like the, the, if Tanner and Greg trained in planes for the G force, they had to train to kind of withstand the G force of the loop. Um, and then eventually Greg was just like, I'm just going to go do it. And he got in the car and did it. And it was just glorious. Mind <laughs> and then Tanner went and did it. Once Greg had done it, Tanner did it. And then we were ready to roll, you know? Um, that makes sense. The fact that they throw them in fighter planes to do it. Cause if you like, that's a lot of G's because they're hitting like that ramp, like what, like at least a hundred to keep them. No, it's actually incredibly slow. <laughs> Is like, it really? <clears throat> yeah. So if you look at a modern roller coaster, they, they have what's called a clothoid loop or a clothoid clothoid loop, which is basically a teardrop shape. Mm -hmm. So you have a very gentle transition in and then at the top, it tightens up. So you kind of hang upside down and then you come back through a gentle transition so that you don't like black everybody out with G-Force on a roller coaster. But of course we wanted a loop, a Hot Wheels loop, <laughs> the legendary Hot Wheels loop doesn't look like a teardrop, it's round, right? Mm -hmm. So we built this thing and then there was like a very narrow window of like, if you're going too slow, you didn't make it. If you're going too fast, you blacked out. So 54 miles an hour. And believe me, when you see two cars driving into a 70 foot loop at 54 miles an hour, it looks way too slow, way too slow. But it, it, but even then, like I think Greg hit it a bit hard, and he he knocked out his molars. Uh, what? They, they had mouth guards, but he he crushed his molars. And then also, if you look at the video, oh, Jesus. the rear the rear the rear suspension of of the of his car, the green car, took the hit, and like they 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 broke a trailing arm on the back of the car. So if you look closely, you can see Greg steering through the top of the loop on three wheels, basically. And then if you follow that car when it does the jump and lands, you see the sh you see the struggle flying. Out. <laughs> yeah, I mean these guys. The, the, the thing about it is, those guys are like just the best all round drivers in the world, right? They, they, yeah. I mean, Greg's. I think Greg um, is the fastest guy up Pikes Peak on two wheels and four wheels. Like he's the only guy to have done it on two and four under a certain amount of time. So he's a, you know, world, they're world class race drivers. But they're also there's a, there's another thing with stunt driving where. You just, you know how to kind of, they, they just know how to control it. They know how to cool as a cucumber. Something goes wrong. They know how to get through it, you know? Um, so it was, I mean, you know, everybody told me afterwards there was no, there was no risk. Like they knew what they were doing, but it was pretty spectacular to see. I can know. imagine. I'm just, I'm just shocked about the molars thing because my biggest fear is getting my teeth knocked out. Yeah. And that just didn't sit well with me. I would. Yeah. I think he cracked, I think he cracked two teeth. Because oh, of the no. G force, <laughs> and for and for and for him, it's like you know, it's another day of the races, right? But yeah, I mean, but I'm we sure just, he's just like just probably just took a drink, like all right, whatever. Where's the closest dentist? But me, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd probably pass out. <laughs> I don't need the G forces. That's enough. Yeah, that was that was. I've got to admit, that was one of the 
one of the craziest days of my career. That that day, like th- even th- more so than the indie jump, that was bonkers. I think that would be pretty hard to to pass now today. You yeah, know? I, I think I, that would be a hard ask. And I think even that, a harder. Well, do. I mean, I think at that point, you know, I think Mattel as well, and 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 so on the back of that, we kind of renewed a movie deal with Legendary. We we struck a licensing deal to do a, a Hot Wheels edition Camaro. We we lit the world up. We presented the brand as an aspirational like action sports american brand rather than just toy cars it's almost like a red bull in a sense oh, i mean yeah. we, were, we were taking a, we were taking a leaf out of their book and a lot of the guys involved also produced the red bull stunts and kind of, you know yeah, exactly. there's a it's a it's a small world when you get into that world mm-hmm. um but then you know the the accountants at mattel felt that it was way too much risk and one of the problems you always get well it doesn't matter what your company is right it's very difficult to directly tie the the the, the financial growth of the brand to that stunt. And we used to have it in the 90s when I first started with Hot Wheels. We used to sponsor NASCAR. And the accountants decided they didn't want to spend the money anymore because there was no proof that the brand was doing well because we had Hot Wheels on the side of Richard yeah. Kyle Petty's hot, um, NASCAR. Same thing happened with this. Even though we took the brand from, I think the wheels division at the time was worth about 600 million. And by the time I left after this, after these years of doing this, we were just sitting under as a as a division. We were sitting just under a billion. So we, within four or five years, yeah. we 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 took the brand to a whole different level. You doubled it. And I still believe firmly that we wouldn't have been able to do that if we hadn't really took you know made those big gambles and done something that was so ballsy and so real mm-hmm. that people no longer looked at Hot Wheels as just toy cars. And that was the thing that we were being told, like they didn't want to do a video game because it was just toy cars. They didn't want to make a movie because it was just toy cars. And then after we did all that stuff, Legendary wanted to make a movie. GM wanted to do a Hot Wheels Camaro. You know, we 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 successive video game licensing opportunities came along where, you know, that you could drive Hot Wheels cars in Forza and you could do and and um mm-hmm. need for speed and yeah, so it really opened the brand. I, I think you want to actually you want to talk legacy of the brand. That's that's my legacy of the brand. You know, it wasn't just me. I want to be very clear. We had, I had a very I had a very very smart marketing partner, but I think that I managed. I, I I inserted myself to make sure the integrity of the brand stayed true with all of the cars we were designing. I insisted that the cars were designed by the Hot Wheels design team and not just some agency. And I insisted that the costumes were designed by the Hot Wheels design, that everything had to come from our creative. It wasn't mm-hmm. good enough just to go and hire somebody to put a sticker on the side of a car and do this. It had to be Hot Wheels. So I grew up a big Hot Wheels fan. Like I, now that you mentioned it, growing up, I remember like, let's say like 2002, like I get like a couple of Hot Wheels. They're always American. And then come around like 2010, like I'm still collecting these things. You're actually seeing like GTRs, GTIs, and all these other great uh, global car. So I thank you for that. The fact that I can go You're pick welcome. up. A, oh, of course. <laughs> You're welcome. I got a McLaren F1 GT on my desk right now, Hot Wheels. Um, growing up, I was also a big fan. I was curious, did you have anything to do with the Accelerators movies and Highway 35 or anything like that? Um, I. No. No. Okay. No. I, uh, I've, I got, gonna... I've got to think. So Highway 35 was in. It was in motion when I first moved out, and I didn't actually get onto Hot Wheels for a couple of years. Um, those, I mean, and they hired people like Scott Robinson and they, 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 some of those cars were designed by some really well-known car designers. They're now iconic because of the film. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Dior um, 2. I, mean, I hate that car. Really? I, Dior 2, I can't stand that car. I would, I, I, really? I, I, I lobbied to destroy that car on film. <laughs> I mean, I'm the same way about the, I'm the same way about the XNR at this place. Um, Wow, the most, one of the most iconic Hot Wheels. I just, I just can't, I, I can't, I just can't get, I can't get on with that car. That's, you know what, to each their own, yep. but that's, <laughs> wow. It's still there though. It's, it's still there. Felix no, didn't get his way. <laughs> no, it's still there. So in that case, what's your opinion of the twin mill? <laughs> um, we rebuilt it. Like I was, when, 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 when I, when I kind of got on the brand, twin mill just didn't work. It never worked. It was never a reliable car. It's still not really, but then we, we recommissioned it. And it was also done in such a kind of, the original build was so like, 80s chintzy like there was nothing <laughs> there was nothing kind of cool about it it was like and it, there's a whole story around twin mill that, that that it was it was built by boyd's and then when boyd's went under like mattel got a um you know they got a they got a very short notice that there was going to be like the doors were being locked at boyd's and if they wanted to get the twin mill out like they better turn up tonight with a trailer and then like I'm not going to name names, but one of my bosses um, 
had actually like had to hide it in his home garage for like a couple of months before while they figured it all out. That's actually that's a, that's a good story. Oh, and then and then it went to where it, it it passed through a number of like kind of real really famous hot rod shops to be to for it to to get to its first incarnation. When we when we inherited it as as, as a leadership team, it was it it didn't work. It was in an awful shade of God. I can't even remember. I think it was kind of like orangey, like a metallic orange color. The interior was ghastly. The wheels were like undersized, um, and so we rebuilt. We rebuilt the whole thing, and it, it, we we did it in um, like Spectre Flame. I think the first iteration was Spectre Flame Blue, but we put we 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 had the correct like proportioned um, redline tires put on it. We had custom five spoke Hot Wheels wheels made for it. We redid the interior in like sixties diamond pleat like show car interior. We rebuilt the engines. We got the transmission to work properly. We got it to cool properly. Um, it's a very, very impressive piece of kit. Twin. Yeah, I was about to say, like, how do you get both the motors to like? Is it one transmission, two transmissions? It's, they use the same. They use the same technology as the tractor pull. There's like a big. There's like a big. Um, there's a big adapter which basically drops the drive down into one transmission, but it's got this great big like. I don't know what you would call it. Massive transfer case. Yeah, it's like a big, massive trans. Like it's a. It's like a tractor pulling transfer case. Okay. Okay, that's that's so cool. I I was I've always wanted to ask somebody on the Hot Wheels team this, it, but. When you were talking about the Highway 35, so I was a big fan of Accelerators growing up. Right. I don't know if you remember that? Yep. What happened to the final movie, man? Oh, don't. <laughs> what happened again, to the final movie? Nothing to do with me. I've been searching every corner of the internet, man. Even as an adult, I'm a 24 year old male, and I watched this stuff in middle school. I just got I, the cliffhanger of this of my childhood, bro. And it's I will never know how it I ends. Think, I think that if I think that if any, um, you know, if. I'm trying to remember now. Accelerators was the kind of like fantasy one where there was different realms. Exactly. And, yes. Um, so that petered out because we just weren't we weren't seeing the returns on the investment in and and that was petering out as I became VP. And so all of the stuff we just talked about was the replacement for Accelerators. Mm. Oh, that makes sense. Now, okay. Don't ask me. By this point, I was kind of like looking at what had gone before and just sweeping it under the carpet. So don't ask me whether it was ever produced because honestly, I was not paying any attention to that. We were, we <laughs> That's were, my next question. <laughs> we were we were fixing some we were fixing some pretty major like you know structural stuff on the brand, and um, I was focused on like really rebuilding the design team at the time, and I, and that was something which was not on my watch, and it hadn't delivered the money that Mattel had hoped. The toys had not sold. Um, <laughs> and so that I, I kind of literally, I, I am guilty of not paying any attention to what my four, my four, my yeah. forebearers had, had done and sweeping it under the table as soon as I could. Damn, dude, that was my next question was, was it ever made? Do you know who I can email? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, you, you, there are people still on the brand who would probably, Brian Benedict, who I believe is now director of Diecast Design at All Wheels, he could probably give you a, it was his baby, basically, and I'm sure that he could give you a far better answer than I can. I'm going to ask you for the email address later because <laughs> I'm dying to know, man. It, it's just been like hundreds of YouTube videos later and just torrents that gave me Brazilian copies later. I just, <laughs> I got to figure something out, I'm man. I'm sorry. No, I'm don't, sorry. It's not your fault. Well, it just is. My, <laughs> it actually, it actually, actually it is your is fault. fault. <laughs> <laughs> it actually is your fault, the reason why my childhood never got finished. Oh, dear. Hey, I'm just saying the Reverb was one of the greatest cars the design team ever came out with. I love the Reverb. Yeah. That thing is... Yeah, there was, so, there was some there was some really killer design work went into it, but they just didn't translate into good toys. And of course, like what we were just saying, right? That you've got to the numbers have to make sense. You're spending millions of dollars producing a cartoon; it's only worth doing if you're actually selling product. And exactly. They, they didn't and sell product. So what made the like what I loved about the Accelerators toy line was uh, the unique wheels and like you said, it's still got the four parts. But I feel like some of those cars are more than just oh yeah, the they four were. parts. Yeah, they, yeah. They, I can imagine it'd be more expensive to produce. Yeah, yeah. but they're so well made. Yeah. Like I had, I, I, I'm sure I can go to my parents' house and just find all of them in the same case I had Kefferman. It's the green tires, the blue tires, the black tires. And we were we were experimenting then. That was like, we were coming up with a lot of like technology, like manufacturing technology at the time, like co-molding where you have two different types of plastic in one mold. And that's where the colored wheels and tires came from. And, but all of that stuff was a lot more expensive than the main line. We used to produce an average week for us back then was 6 million cars a week. Oh. Six million cars. <laughs> Holy crap. So when you want to so then when you want to introduce a, a, a technology that's a bit more expensive into the mix, it, it doesn't Less, you just can't it, so yeah. so we then have to come up with lines which are a more expensive line, but the benefit that you know the value is there because you're using technology to create mm. detail. So yes, it costs a little bit more to make, 
and you see a lot of that stuff appear in the kind of collector lines and, and that obviously kind of accelerates us with a premium line and we got to play with that stuff. I mean, some of the most beautiful castings y'all ever made with like the most unique looks to it. I'm just, I thank you guys. That's all I got to say, really. That was good, good, good childhood memories at the very least. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was, you know, for me, for me in my career, like going out to the, to the plants and playing with that stuff and trying to get them to do really quite kind of sophisticated um, material technology and production technology to try. We were just always trying to improve Hot Wheels cars. How do you, how do you move Hot Wheels cars on the next level? Um, and some of it got in and some of it didn't, you know. So I'm sure uh, as you worked your way up the ranks at Mattel, were you purchasing, collecting any cars? Or do, do you now currently? I, um, what, like Hot Wheels cars? No, like... <laughs> real cars, yeah. Like, like, like one-to-one scale. The problem that I have is that I still collect real cars in the way that I used to collect Hot Wheels cars when I was a kid. Oh. And you realize that you need a hell of a big bucket to keep all your Hot Wheels cars in if they're real ones. Um I've kind of like I've 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 my car collections ebbed and flowed over the years. Okay, um, and I still have how many cars do I have? Six, I think. I've got a, they're all projects. I mean, I've got like my I've got two Pride and Joy projects. One of them is a thirty-one Ford Hot Rod, an original fifties Hot Rod. Okay, which I bought when I was at Hot Wheels. I bought it because I wanted. I was like, if I'm going to be the head of design for Hot Wheels, I need like an origin car. I want like the car that is where it all began. And so I searched out an original car that was built in 53. And it's a, it's, it's a, it's a 31, 32 Ford hot rod. It's a 32 chassis with a 31 body on it. And it's a flathead and it's bias plied tires and it's got all the right bits on it. And that I still own nearly, it's nearly, I fabricated my own dad, like taught myself to fabricate. I chopped the 41 mercury dash, took six inches out of it, refabricated the corner pieces to fit it in with 31. Like it's, it's yeah. legit. It's okay. legit. It sounds like you're following um, all the proper hot rodding steps. Yeah, exactly. And then I've got a, I've got a 911 project that's a lot. That, again, I bought it when I was at Hot Wheels, and it's it, I've had various 911s since then. Were you? This one, it's a 70 long hood, but I bought it with a it had a <laughs> it had a 959 body kit on it, and like pure like 80s star like goatee rims, and I bought it. I actually spotted it from the four or five. It was there used to be a classic car dealer right on the on the Carson exit on the four or five, and I spotted it from the road, and I just caught the glint of the of the chrome window surrounds, and I was like, "That's an early car," and I watched it, and it didn't sell because it was bloody awful. Let's face it, right? And it wasn't a good nine five nine body kit. It was red, like okay. resale red. Um, and so eventually, I hit them up. I knew that it, I knew that it was just sitting, and I hit them up, and I got it for like I got it for a song, and I went down picked it up, paid the money, and drove it back up the freeway at like 90 miles an hour. Drove fine, right? 90 miles, And this was before 911 prices went through the roof. Yeah, yeah. And so I like drove it straight up the freeway at 90 miles an hour, burnt a little bit. It was a bit smoky, but it was it was fine. And <laughs> drove it straight in the garage and got the angle grinder out and cut all of the fiberglass panels off it. And then discovered that it was a bit more rotten than I thought it was. But I was still just going to rat it, right? I was like, oh, I'll just patch those holes up and get some fiberglass panels. And it's a, it's a long hood. And then various other things happened. I had a child. Um, I think I bought, and then I picked up a 964 um, from a neighbor that was sitting, like it had sat for a couple of years. So another, like, there's a whole, st- you could you could do like a archaeology episode on that, right? Anyway, this, the red car, as we will, as we will call her, um, sat and sat in the garage and I didn't really have time to work on it. I had the hot rod. I had a couple of Myers Manx dune buggies. I had, like, I just had all these projects. It was, this is at the point that I left Mattel started my company but also found myself with a bit of time to play with cars and the red car sat and sat and sat and then i moved it to storage and it sat and in the time that it sat the prices went through the roof and then it became a full restoration project because you weren't going to just like tack stitch that thing together and like run it It, so it's now full circle i've gone through a couple of 911s in the time this car's now been built with it i want to build it um i took it well i've got my, my my buddy paul clark um Paul Clark Motorsports. If you need any fabrication, um, there you go. He's it's now it's on a frame table. The we've we we're now rebuilding it. We cut the floors out. We cut the nose off it. We cut the inner fenders off it. Like it's it's going to be an absolutely perfectly restored tub. And I think that I'm going to do like RSR strengthening in the tub. So the tub will be like um, I've got another friend Efren who does a, an RSR strengthening kit. Mm. Um, so you can he did all the research to just get the right things to to strengthen the tub. So that's the long term. It'll be an outlaw. It'll be a th- I've got a three liter motor sitting in the in the garage. So those are the two kind of 
mm-hmm. when Felix gets actually finds the time to go and wrench. Those are the two project cars that I've kept. And then there's a early 1979 Volkswagen Dasher, which was my first car. This one wasn't my first car, but it's a 79 facelift Dasher. It was a Passat in, in the UK. And I'd always, out of all of the cars, I've had my dream garage at times in my life, but I'd always said if I ever find a silver 79 Passat, I've got to buy it because that was my first car. Yeah. And sure enough, right when I didn't have any money, what do I find on Craigslist? But a silver 79 Dasher. Um, so that one is that one's waiting for, that'll be everything I wanted to do when I was 17 will get done to that car. Wow, that I'm that's 50. so cool. So, yeah, they come and go. It's an addiction. It's carcane. Mm-hmm, 100%. Wow. So after, what made you kind of depart from um, Mattel, I guess? Um, was it just time for a change? It was, it was time. Well, there was a couple of things. There was a couple of things. Um, for a couple of years, I realized, I was like, you know what? If you really want to like move up in your career, you need to leave this job and go and work for somebody else. It's just the general thing with careers that if you sit too long, you know that you're then becoming un- underpaid. You could earn more money somewhere else. But I was the head of design for Hot Wheels. I was like, you know, I'm never going to leave. This is like the best job in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, there was some politics went on. And so when the best job in the world suddenly becomes a pain in the ass, that's really the time to make a change. Yeah. And then also I was um, I was beginning to really be wary of the the kind of global manufacturing pattern, the the, the, the the China manufacturing model, where you know, in some cases we send we send resources in a container to China to be made into like dolls and toys and whatever else, and then and then ship back to the US and then sit in a warehouse hoping that we sell them. And it just to me it was beginning to feel like just not a good culture, right? And 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 I, simultaneously, I'd got into tech. I'd started paying a lot more attention to kind of um, on-demand manufacturing, like manufacturing with 3D printing. We'd used 3D printing really all the way back to when I first started with Mattel was the first time I ever got to use 3D printing for prototyping. And then Mattel have got a whole 3D printing suite that they were upgrading over the years. And so we'd, we'd used 3D printing, and I'd seen firsthand the power of 3D printing in industry but when I realized that we were at a point where we were beginning to manufacture finished things with 3D printing rather than just prototyping, and then we looked at it was the birth, it was the birth of like machine learning and AI, generative design, VR had suddenly gone from being this like weird experimental thing to something that you could actually get an experience out of that would that w- would be useful. And so I jumped because I wanted to get into the future. I didn't want to be. I, I saw the, the the China manufacturing model to me was the past. And I wanted to be in the future. I also didn't want to be 50 years old waiting to be fired because I was too old and too expensive. You know, like uh, I didn't want to be redundant. And I realized that all of the chops that I'd learned at college by this point were kind of 20 years old. And there was a whole new generation of digital designers coming through and people who were far more tech savvy. And so I made the choice in effect to go back to college. And I didn't go back to college. I started a company uh, and we worked closely with Autodesk and Siemens and HP. We did some wild projects with um, Toyota um, where we were exploring the implications for additive manufacturing, so printing metal, basically. Mm. Um, And the thing that I was very interested in was how, with all of these technologies, what does it mean to the consumer? Not just like, you know, can McLaren use 3D printed parts in their latest supercar? Of course they can. But what is it? What, what do you get to do again? Coming back to customization, right? I was like, could you give ordinary people a chance to take part in the design of things? And so that was my focus. My focus was trying to figure out what the platform looked like for people to design stuff. Mm-hmm. Music had been democratized with iTunes and 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 um, GarageBand and, and and whatever. Filmmaking was democratized with GoPro and and Final Cut and all of this software. And I was like, the next thing could be designed, right? Could you make? And so I spent pretty much six, 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 seven years like trying to get that off the ground. And while for me that failed, um, it it allowed me to learn about the future of manufacturing and the different design practices that you need to establish to optimize for that. Um, and you know, I got to sit, I got a, I got a, I got a, I got a, a courtside seat to see people like Divergent um, Zinger kind of start really developing these technologies in the supercar world. Mm-hmm. And um, and so kind of, you know, I, 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 I had good reasons to get out of that 
business, the, mm-hmm. the company. Um, but it, it it gave me an insight into uh, into the future of car design and the future of of, of manufacturing, mm-hmm. um, and that led me into my new <clears throat> into your new chapter, mm-hmm. which is art. Well, well, it's art and rockets. Okay, it's art and rockets. I I you know the art saw me through the pandemic. Mm. Um, but it, now it, I'm in the. It, just for our viewers that really don't know your art, um, I'm sure they're going to be looking at it up afterwards. But can you just describe your art? Um, so just, it's I, I, can, I come I come from a big part of my background is is the kind of um, skateboard, hip hop, graffiti. That was part of my my '80s experience, um, and so. When I come to and I and I've always loved color. I I like I I, I kind of see things in color. Mm-hmm. I see sound in color, kind of thing. So when I came to paint what I love, which is which is which is cars, um, I kind of I use a few techniques that 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 are um, you know I use graffiti techniques. I cut stencils, so I, I basically build a stencil first, which becomes mm-hmm. the sketch. Yep. Then I use I use spray paint. I use paint laid on very thick, it, it, like some of the modernist painters do. And so I combine the two techniques to create a um, a kind of feel that's very it's a very very alive. And I, I kind of use the stencil in the way that you would use a layer in Photoshop because it allows yeah. me to keep keep putting the image down several times mm-hmm. to build layers of color and fades and um, and and my art it's not just about like the subject but like I, for me i don't like going to static car shows because for me it's the noise and the smell and the movement of cars that really turns me on like mm-hmm. the, the the form only comes alive when you see the whole mm-hmm. um and so i try to paint i try to paint very very dynamic um scenes very dynamic kind of depictions of cars um, most of the time they're in motion. And then I use, I use a lot of very, very like shocking color to kind of bring motion and sound alive. And so I kind of like, that's really, if I've got a defining principle to my art, it's, it's trying to kind of, it's trying to bring more of a sensory experience to a painting of a classic race car. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 f- and then from that, the, the other side of it is I'm, I'm not a trained artist, I'm a designer. And so I try to make sure that whatever I paint, someone's going to want to put on the wall. I think there's a lot of very, very conservative auto art out around. Um, and some of it's very, it's almost like painting by numbers. I'm not knocking the skill of the, of the, of the artist. Um, but to me, it, it either, it, it's either photo real. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, at that point it's like, you know, yes, it's like a parlor trick. It looks like a photo until you get up close and you realize it's a painting and mm-hmm. brilliant. Love it. Like, I wish I could paint like that. I can't paint like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of the other stuff is just, it's always a little bit dull, you know, a little bit. I think, I think it gets a little bit into the kind of, into the, into the, 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 the train spotter world of like detail of the car or whatever. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I want it to be, I want it to be rock and roll. I want it to be explosive, yeah. you know? And so that's, that's the way I, I paint like that. I mean, I'm f- throwing paint all over the studio <laughs> when I'm painting. So what's this, uh, rockets you speak of? So, Yeah. Um, I kind of, you know, I've done very well with the art, but I really felt that, you know, in this day and age, I also needed to get back to having a full-time gig. Um, and I didn't, I I wanted to use everything that I learned from the six years in Hackrod. That was my company was Hackrod. Um, I didn't want to just go back to the toy industry and just keep doing the same thing. And fortunately, the art allowed me to take my time to find the perfect role rather than just have to get a job. I was fine as an artist. I was doing very well. Um, but I just had this, you know, I was sick of standing in my studio on my own every day. Um, and I felt like I love, I love inspiring people. I think that's the, you know, it, 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 okay. Enough about Felix. My success is based on successful teams, right? My success really is based on knowing how to get the best out of brilliant people and how to put brilliant people together to make things that are bigger than the sum of the parts. That's what I really do for It's a long time since I've been the guy on the boards being celebrated because I'm such a great, Mm-hmm. designer um and i really missed working with people i wanted to work with genius professionals i wanted to learn something from other people and a f- uh, an ex-colleague of mine had started working he was in the digital world and he had started working for a company called relativity space space um and i knew of this company because they were 3d printing rockets and when we were setting up Hackrod, we had basically been in a bidding war for the guy that came to be our CTO, this guy, very, very smart um, engineer called Slade Gardner, who was at the very forefront of 3D printing components for aerospace. He was at 
I knew was at like Lockheed Martin at the time. And so Tim Ellis, who's the CEO of Relativity Space, had literally been trying to get slayed at the same time that we were courting him. And so I knew all about Relativity. And now, so here's Relativity six years on from that, and they've just flown their first 3D printed rocket. And this is a big rocket. This is not like hobby grade rocket out in the desert. This is a Cape Canaveral launch. Oh, wow. Um, and about, we, 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 we flew, we flew the first rocket, um, what, like four weeks ago, I guess now. Um, and their, their, their vision is to revolutionize the, the economics of, 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 of rock, the rocket industry, the launch industry, um, and give Elon a little bit of competition, but by using 3d printing to kind of, um, to streamline the process and allow for much faster iterative development. Um, and so that's where I found myself. Um, very, very, very exciting company, biggest 3d printers on the planet. And, um, like I say, we had a, we had a, um, we had a, a, a successful kind of test launch four weeks ago. We got the thing into space. Second stage didn't ignite, so we didn't quite get the payload into orbit. But from a, for a first launch, it was considered very, very successful. Wow. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, so it's a, it's a fascinating world. Now I find myself, I never thought, you know, it's the next chapter, right? I never thought I'd find myself in, in the aerospace industry, never mind the rocket industry. Mm. Um, and obviously, like, you know, last week, SpaceX put the first iteration of Starship up, which was just like, I mean, the, the size of that thing is, is mind-blowingly big. So is the explosion. And so is the explosion. <laughs> um, but no, you know, it's one of those things. The thing that's fascinating to me, I'm working, I'm working for some of some, some SpaceX legends um, who are now with Relativity, and I'm learning very quickly, not just about the industry, but the the, the engineering trades that go into a rocket are the, the, the margin for error is so fine that if you if you're excited by high performance engineering. There's really not much else that you can possibly go and do. Yeah. With it. Like it's like the absolute. Pit, it is, yeah. The, like what's next? Just time travel after that. Honestly, it's, I mean, it's 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 crazy. And and we're we're working on some really exciting innovations in that space. And and my and my my job is I'm not a rocket and I'm not a rocket scientist by any stretch. I think you can barely refer to me as a space cadet if I'm really honest. <laughs> um, but I'm teaching, I'm teaching a company how to collaborate and how to design for the systems they're developing um and i'm learning a hell of a lot about rocket design as i go um from some of the best um but i'm not an engineer i'm i'm, I'm more the kind of i'm more the human side of design you know and it's very very engineer and heavy you don't get to go and start sketching pretty 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 yeah. rockets there's there's very few forms that, that that work outside of like a tall pencil totally um and uh but it's it's a fascinating industry uh, before this, um, just wrapping it up, you mentioned you're working on something for Luftico. Um, yeah. Do you care to mention what you're working on? Yeah, no, we, uh, I got, I mean, literally last week I got the call um, that they were putting together with Mobile One. Um, so it's Lufka Holt 9 um, mm -hmm. in San Francisco or in the Bay Area next uh, on Saturday. Mm -hmm. And I got the call to see if I would paint a hood a Porsche 911 hood. It's, they're celebrating the G body at this one, um, and so I think another, me and another couple of artists are going to paint live on the Mobile One booth, um, which is terrifying because my paintings <laughs> take months. Totally, like, I have to paint a little bit and walk away and come back and paint a bit more. Ah. And I've got six hours to do a painting live in front of it. Hopefully, you cut enough stencils. Yeah, Are you gonna that was that was this past weekend. I was oh, yeah. <laughs> I've planned it all out. I've got, it's going to be a little simpler than my normal stuff, I think. But it's um, and and I'm trying to paint it so like we're going to auction the the hoods are going to get auctioned for charity, um, and I'm trying to paint it in a way that if somebody bought it, they could actually run it on their car. Like it's going to be a painting of a Porsche, but it's going to be more graphic. And I'm hoping that like I would love it if somebody would actually bolt it on it, bolt it on their yeah. their, their, their 911 Outlaw and run it. You, you never know. know. It'd be pretty sweet to see uh, you around. Yeah. And I'm, we, there's an art car project in the works as well, but I can't, I haven't really finalized that. Okay. So. Uh, we always ask our guests this. Um, what's your take on uh, EVs? Would you ever own one? I would. Um, I, I'm a big fan, man. You know, okay. I, I think that. Um, He's in I, the rocket industry, man. Of course he likes EVs. Dude, like the amount of, the amount of, <laughs> I mean, the he of also has a hot rod too. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, look, it's, it's horses for courses. I think that. Um, the thing that's fascinating about EVs is that is is that the the performance is phenomenal. I'm holding back because I don't believe I don't believe the correct the correct investment in infrastructure has been made. Um, 
I also there's there's nothing there's nothing on the market in my price range that I really genuinely like. I I I respect Teslas for what they've achieved. Can't stand the styling. Sorry, don't want to drive a Tesla. And the drivers looks like a Ford Mondeo. Um, the 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 there's some really exciting stuff going on. If I'd ever if I'd ever thought that I would take a Korean car over a German car, I'll, like if anybody ever told me that, I would have laughed them out the pub. But now I'm looking at some of the stuff that's coming out of Hyundai and, and, and Kia, and I'm like, wow, these cars are really interesting, man. Dude, the Ionic 5 is a weirdly great-looking car. Yeah. And the oh. new Ionic 6 kind of looks like a Panamera in some way. It's it, kind of wackadoodle, but like it's cool. You it, know? It, it's like, I don't know why I like this. I'm not supposed to, but damn. Yeah. Not no. bad. I'm, I'm, and I would, you know, I would, I would take a, 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 a Taycan any day of the week, but oh, it's just yeah. a little bit out of my price range. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also like, you know, I'm interested to see what... We've had a very, very strange... Um, couple of years in the car market and the used car market and i think we've got all of these weird ideas about residuals on on what 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 cars are really worth i don't want to dive into an ev now to find myself in a couple of years like it being completely out like in the next two years you're going to see such innovation and such variety that right now i'm like you know what i i'm still running my 2008 audi it's still too early right for the ev I think that I, I honestly like I'm, I, I now have a 25. Well, I have a 50 mile a day commute right down the four or five. Mm-hmm. And so the thing that I and my two dailies, I've got a Dodge, an RT Ram truck and an S4 B7 Audi with a V8 in it, neither of which are economic cars <laughs> at yeah. all. Um, but I also believe I don't really believe in buying new cars. I like I like to keep an older car that's perfectly fine on the road, you know, especially if it's a nice one. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of in this, like, I know the sensible thing to do would be to take the 400 bucks a month I spend on gas and roll it into the payment on an EV. I just, there's nothing that turns me on right now. And yeah. I need to get in a car in the morning. And for me to go to work, if I'm going to work rather than standing around painting pictures of Porsches in my studio, then I need to get in a car and just feel like, yes, like this, this experience of driving this car is setting me up for the day. Um, I don't look at them as purely utility and... I just, I, I, there's nothing there that I know I'm going to get in in the morning and be like, wow, dude, I'm so lucky, you know? Whereas my dented Audi Avant still makes me feel like, wow, this car. It's still an Audi Avant. Yeah, it's pretty Th- Those things are tough. Love those things. Awesome. Well, uh, we are far over time, but hell, I could t- we could talk to you all day. <laughs> uh, you have been one of the most in- inquisitive, fun, interesting. Man, I could just hear you listen to you talk all day, Felix. It's the accent. It's the only thing I've got. I mean, I mean yeah. Who doesn't people, love love, people don't know what I'm saying. They just love to talk. They I, love to listen to me I talk. I think you're the first guest with an accent. Really? A British accent. The first Brit. It is our yeah. first Brit. Yeah, yeah. welcome. Congratulations. <laughs> hey. uh, have you ever had Magnus on? No. No, no oh, we dude. haven't. He was what? in the old series. The right? old season, yeah. Oh, okay. But not with us. Not with us, not yeah. yet. Yeah, his accent's not as good as mine anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he's got the Sheffield one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's got, But we got Felix that got the Newcastle accent. So the Geordie accent. The Geordie <laughs> like a lot of the people I hang out with online, they're all from Glasgow. So all right. I'm yeah. very used to Northern British Isles. Yeah, our drummer's from Glasgow. It takes me two days to be able to understand what he's talking about. And then and then and then after three days I'm thinking in Glaswegian. Oh percent A hundred percent. I'm thinking myself in some Glaswegian. Well, anyways, thank you, Felix. You've been an absolutely incredible guest and we hope to have you back soon and to see what you got ready at Left Can't wait to see what you produce. Yeah. Well thanks. Thanks for having me, man. It's been great fun. Oh, it's been an absolute blast. Awesome. And thank you again for tuning into another episode of the Car Stories Podcast here at the Peterson Museum. Uh, check out the new Porsche exhibit just opened. We are Porsche on the second floor. Daniel Arsham, Tesla, come see it all. Thank you so much for watching and take care, everybody. Peace.